Have you ever wondered there has to be more? Rachel Service has, and she's written a book by that name. And it's a book that is an essential guide to personal growth. Rachel has had her struggles with things like burnout, anxiety, and depression, but she's learned from them and she's put those learnings into the work she does as the happiness concierge. So if you're thinking that there has to be more, then make that your next read. So, Rachel Service, who should read There Has to Be More? Anyone who's had the feeling in life, is this it? Like, <laughs> is this all like this? Have you ever had that feeling, Luke, where you're thinking, I know I signed up for this, but is this all there is? Yeah, I know what you mean. And before we came online, you said you were going to promise not to say everyone, and you pretty much just said everyone because we've all had that. <laughs> we've you all know, had that feeling, haven't we? It's so interesting, right? I was talking to the beautiful publisher about the idea, where it came from, and she was saying to me, what do you mean? Talk me through it. And I said, you know that feeling where you're thinking, oh, is this this? And and she was saying, oh, like this has, there has to be more, right? And we both went, there has to be more. And then and the that's book where the title name was born. Yeah, true. So yeah, shout out wow. to my beautiful publisher for coming up with the title. We are just talking about what's that feeling that we're describing? It's that feeling before we know what to do with it, right? It's like... My, like I've had examples of people saying they've been even in meetings and they're just thinking, I don't go, I just cannot find it in myself to care about this anymore. Or I'm having a conversation and you're thinking, oh, what's changed? Oh, I've changed. I've got a different point of view. Or you get everything you want in life if you're a high achiever and you think you experience what experts call a rival fallacy. You think, oh, got everything I wanted. Right. Nothing more to achieve. Okay. Is this it? Like, is there more? Yeah, I call that one top of the mountain syndrome. That I really, really wanted to get to the top of this mountain. And I've been climbing and climbing and look how hard I work. And (laughs) and now I'm here and you kind of look at the view and go, "Eh." Exactly, exactly. So what's as someone who runs, and I love this title, as someone who runs a business called the Happiness Concierge, which is just like the best title ever, (laughs) how, how do you go about helping people through that? that sort of, meh, I've I've kind of got what I wanted and I don't know whether I want that anymore. Yeah, well, certainly I've experienced that myself. You know, I've done a lot of things in my life and one of those things is a TED Talk. You can Google it, how to break up with your public identity. And uh, I did this TED Talk. I thought, oh, that's an exciting goal. And then, oh, what will I talk about? Oh, what will I wear? You know, all those kind of questions any presenter might have. You wore a bright-ass pink suit, if I remember rightly. <laughs> Just something low-key. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought, if I'm going to do this, like, do it with a bang, you know? <laughs> And I think that's been a good lesson for life. And I remember coming home on the plane back when we could fly on planes easily and thinking, oh, that feels good. And then the next day I thought, oh, that feels good. And then the next day I thought, oh, okay. What's my next, maybe to use your analogy, Luke, what's my next mountain, right? Mm. Um, So that's certainly a feeling I can relate to. And in terms of helping people, it just so happened when I had my aha moment, I've had a couple. (laughs) I think we all got. I want to talk about one of them, actually. There's one of them I really want you to tell everyone about. (laughs) Spoil as much as you want to spoil or not spoil. (laughs) But I really want to hear from the horse's mouth about the Beyonce moment. (laughs) Well, um, her spirit works in in wonderful ways. Well, for those of you who aren't familiar, um, I have experienced very openly anxiety, depression, 
and many burnouts. And I had a moment many years ago where I thought, oh, there's actually only one person who could help me. Um, I think I know who that is. And I've asked countless audiences over the years, who do you think that person was? And they always say, you, Rachel, it was you. And in that moment, I I thought to myself, Beyonce. Beyonce is the only person who could help me. So I went to a concert. I bought a ticket to New York. I was living in Melbourne, took all my savings and went to New York. And I went to her uh, concert, the Sasha Fierce tour. I think it was Miss Carter World tour. And I just cried. No, I sobbed throughout the whole thing. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like if I can't even enjoy the things that bring me the most joy or even escapism, I reckon I'm the one. (laughs) (laughs) I must be the, uh, the phrase I want to use here is common denominator. You know, I saw people in the subway singing, (laughs) and I was kind of crying. I had my my Beyonce t-shirt on. I had the merchandise and I was miserable. And I thought, you can't even fly me halfway across the world to do something I love. Something's not right here. And that's when I started to realize, oh, this life that I have in my dream, my private self, is at odds with my public self. And Oh, that's my job. Right. That's a job. That's the thing I need to do. And that's where that started. The irony of that penny drop moment happening at the Beyonce Sasha Fierce concert (laughs) is just amazing. (laughs) That whole public persona and, you know, when you look at Beyonce's brought up in a really Christian, really, you know, really moral high ground sort of family and she's going around shaking her booty and doing all of those things. And she couldn't do that unless she split up with that former past. So there's a massive irony there. If anyone doesn't know, can you tell us the Sasha Fierce story and Beyonce? (laughs) Oh, I love that I'm with a fellow fan of leadership and authenticity here. Uh, Well, it's uh, been widely reported and shared by Beyonce herself that in the early days of Destiny's Child, which was the girl group she created when she was eight with three of her closest friends in Houston, Texas, that her she was very shy, very shy. But something happened when she got a microphone and she went into the stage. She became what she calls another person. And this other person was uh, out there and chatty and singing and dancing. And she called this person, she gave it another persona to separate her public self from her private self. And that name was Sasha, Sasha Fierce. And interestingly, as she evolved, as she grew in her practice, grew in her modality, and as she accomplished different things, she eventually decided to retire Sasha Fest once she found her public and private self could be, um, what's the word I want to use here, Luke? Kind of aligned. Sort of congruent. They can fit in. They can both be the same thing. They can kind exactly. of. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And what a beautiful lesson that is. And that came with the often public knowledge that, you know, she became her own manager. She created her own production company and started creating goals of her own volition, independent of what might be seen as other people's version of success. And indeed, that's a big theme, I think, between you and I, Luke, defining your own version of success and creating your own mountain, maybe to use your analogy. It was one of the things you really brought home in the book too, is to just to actually be really curious with yourself about what you want. And that just sounds so blatantly obvious and, well, of course that's what you do, but I'm not sure we do. So what what sort of advice would you give people when they're really struggling to, you know, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. We're, going, we're mixing our, our musical metaphors here and wandering into think, the spice uh... But how, how do we do that? How, as as yeah. someone who's a happiness concierge, how do we actually 
work out what it is we want if when we get to the top of the mountain it's the view's not as good as we thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such a such a great timing for that question because my coach actually posted this myself. He said to me last week, you're right about this, Rach. I want you to write down what you want. And I thought, oh, here I am full circle. I said, oh, I should probably get out this pink book called There Has to Be yeah. More. I hate it when they give you to you. It's really annoying. <laughs> Not he said, if you didn't me. know, what would it be? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and what so, did you come up with? Just, to, just oh, out of interest? Well, isn't it interesting? You know, I, um, I challenged myself not to look to the past, but look to the future and to boldly not write down should or could, but what I wanted. And what makes me happy, Luke, would be no surprise, is speaking, uh, be, you know, maybe a TV show, writing, communicating, anything where I get to share lessons and uh, makes me happy. And I think what I've learned across the years is not to be precious about the package in which that arrives in, but rather to pursue the feeling that you get when you uh, do something that lights you up. For me, it's learning, anything to do with learning mm-hmm. and speaking and communicating. I'm in my happy place. It just so happens that's in congruence, to use your term there, with the work I do at Happiness Concierge and, the, and my friendships, relationships and whatnot. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah. And it's it's a really important thing, isn't it, to be able to get that that congruence, that sort of who I am and who I'm appearing to be is exactly who I want to be as well, which which I guess is a little bit harder said than done. So there's a couple of things that I that really stood out for me in the book, and some of them were some of the, you, you used a model um, about comfort zones and learning zones and panic zones. Can you can you take us through that a little bit? Yeah, well, the educator and adventurer Tom Zeniger came up with this great concept called the comfort zone. I think we'll all be familiar with that. We feel good. We'll feel cozy. And if we imagine three circles in bigger than each other, the smallest circle is our comfort zone. The middle circle, when we're stretching ourselves or going into new ventures or doing things for the first time, is our learning zone. And then when we stretch ourselves even further, we move into the biggest circle, which is the panic zone. If you could imagine the colors of green being your comfort zone, yellow being your learning zone, and red being your panic zone. Yeah. Incompetence lives in both comfort and panic. So how do we ch- nurture ourselves to stretch into our learning and then pull ourselves into safety when we're in our panic zone? Certainly it's been a hot topic um, in recent classes I've been teaching at Happiness Concierge and a tool we use and we often talk about is the idea of a circuit breaker. If I'm in my panic zone, how can I a own that? Become aware of that. Become aware of it is the key. And you know, I do a lot of stuff about working out with introspection. What's the thing that happens in your body that's saying I'm in my panic zone? With me, it's little knots under my at the bottom of my stomach. I had a guy in, in, a, in a workshop the other day say, "Yeah, I know when I'm panicking because I start to sweat out of my head." <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we all get we all have different ones. Um, yeah. What would yours yeah. be? What would your cue to sort of say, <laughs> okay, let, let's check if we're in the panic zone here. What would yours be? It's so funny. I did this exact exercise with my coach just yesterday. Right. <laughs> train the trainer moment here. Uh, for me, uh, I'm, I'm, my challenge is currently bringing my awareness to what happens before that panic zone. For me, right. I'm green, then I'm red. <laughs> the yeah, okay. I'm green, You're missing out on so- your learning zone then. Well, exactly. And or am I addicted to the panic zone? But in terms of That's a physical manifest. I know you yeah. laughed. And I know it was a knowing laugh, but it's a thing. It's a thing that we get used to that 
that used to that cortisol and adrenaline levels at a certain certain point, and when they go away, we you can kind of feel lost. You kind of miss them, right? You know, yeah. when I started with my coach now two years ago, and um, when I wasn't busy, I didn't know how to be, and so he helped me just reframe the idea of value work versus busy work. And mm-hmm. I said to him, I, "Look, I have faith in this process, but what is the difference?" <laughs> Oh, there's a but massive a, difference. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, that's bringing your awareness to the separation of these moments. But yeah. back to your question around the panic zone. I know when I'm in the panic zone, when I'm irritable, I'm grumpy, I'm frustrated. That's not my na- That's not my organic demeanor. I no. know when I'm hungry, your face I'm mad. Pick that. <laughs> right? And I'm uh, feeling out of character. I just want to slam the door. My, my partner looks at me and I'm thinking, oh, for goodness sake, you know, like there's no ration to this. Yeah. So to bring myself back in a circuit breaker, for me, it's often eating um, or going around the block by myself or having a snack or just breathing out or taking off my shoes and rubbing them against the carpet if we're in between meetings, just mm-hmm. to ground myself and bring myself back. Hey, Rach, you can be the person you want to be. Let's just connect with yourself and connect with your public and private self. Let's bring them back into congruence. And I often say to people with their um, evolving in their public speaking around nerve management, I just want you to sigh and imagine it's over, breathe out, now walk into that speaking gig. And I try to envisage that a great meeting has gone well. I feel relieved. I've kicked off my shoes, which you can do. What did I do to make that happen? And what did I do to make that happen? How can I bring that into that kind of containment? Yeah, great. There's a Harvard study that that you – that you quoted and it did exactly that how do i go from being anxious to if i can go from being anxious to being excited and i've actually written the stats down here because i'm a big nerd on stats but you would if you could go from being anxious to being excited you were 22 percent better at maths 17 percent more persuasive <laughs> in a public speaking and i love this one you were 17 percent better at karaoke <laughs> and you want to know the great. song they tested that on? They tested it, it on Don't Stop Believing. Oh, that's a hard is that by song the journey? I'm just that's, a small town boy living in a lonely world. Wow, totally right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you take from that study? Isn't it fascinating? Isn't it? Isn't it? But it's it's so true that we all try that we try to go from anxious to calm, and they're miles apart. <laughs> you know, they're so they're a whole other state. Yeah, to go from anxious to excited, it's really close and really easy. Um, but we don't do it. And I guess I guess that goes back to what you were saying before, Rachel, about having that introspection, understanding what you're feeling and what, what's going on with your body. Exactly. Like, as an example, this morning I had a presentation to people leaders just a few hours ago and I'm in a separate room to my spouse who happens to be on annual leave so I've got all this, the session went well, I closed my laptop, I'm about to walk into the hallway and, you know, preach about the power of transformation or whatever I've spoken about, mm-hmm. right? And my spouse is like in shorts, ready to chill, order Uber Eats. And so I said to them, I just need to walk my adrenaline off. It went really well, but just let me walk it around the block. And then I can come back to the same energy level you might be at. I went for a walk around the block. I'm like, yeah, that went great. What would I do differently? That seemed to land. How might I do this? I'm doing a pep talk reflection with myself, as is my practice and habit. And now when I came back, I'm able to breathe out and say, oh, oh how are you? And hear their answer it with, yeah. from that cloud of anxiety, excitement, excitement, adren- adrenaline, validation. Okay, just let it move through my body because adrenaline for me, yep, sweats, handshakes, 
just my whole body feels like I can't find the Zoom link, where's the Microsoft Teams breakout room, things that I find easily in the anxiety, excitement of adrenaline seem kind of complicated, don't they? Yeah, well, I guess when it when it turns into that panic mode that you talked about when it's in that red zone, the, the part mm-hmm. of our brain that knows how to do that sort of stuff comes offline a little bit, doesn't it? So it's a matter <laughs> of sort of trying to get it online. For someone, it sounds like you've had more burnouts than a Western Sydney bogan. So um <laughs> So when that sort of stuff, when you do you now like that that going for a walk around the block? How do you know when you're getting to that point where your bucket's full and yeah. you're about to burn out again? Because you've had it a few times. So yeah. are there some some signposts on the way other than being cranky? Yeah. Well, that's certainly a popular occurrence, the latter. But for me, I've had to a train myself to bring my awareness to when my addiction to work because it's you know cognitively stretching there's a sense of mastery um mm-hmm. it's interesting there's a purpose to it oh all of that progress principle yada yada yeah um but i've had to a bring my awareness to it b give myself compassion that i am allowed to rest and I can read all the books in the world that tells me that <laughs> the return on investment on, on rest will, A, in my personal experience, has doubled my revenue and, B, grow my business. But also, C, I've had to, and pardon me, I've chosen to insert support structures that keep me accountable. Now, one of those is my coach, and that comes with, obviously, an investment of time and a financial investment. And the other is my spouse and people around me, which is to say, when you see this, do this. Yeah. So an example is, you know, when I'm cranky or I've got a lot on, I actually don't default to going, you know what, I've got a break between meetings, I'm going to take a moment or have lunch or have a lie down. I push through it. And for what benefit? The clients don't get, my clients don't get the best of me, the team won't. Um, and what's left for my partner? Well, nothing. <laughs> mm. um, and so that's taken some really serious reframing in my end to think about what are my containers in life? What are my top three? How do I nurture those? Hey, Rach, one of those, oh, this is from a session this morning. Actually, I wrote them down for a team. What are your containers? Right. You rock card. Um, you know, how, did you know that one of those containers, Rach, are your needs? How do you fill those needs to keep this engine running? Yeah, that's great. It's it's a bit like the if when the masks drop down in the plane, you've got to put your engine, yours on before you help anyone else's. And for someone like, would you describe yourself as a little bit of a perfectionist? You like everything. <laughs> I'm a lot of a perfectionist. Absolutely. I thought you might have been perfectionist. Just, yeah, just totally. Re- and openly <laughs> reading between the lines of your beautiful book, there has to be more. Um, one of the things you brought up was a was an adaptive and a maladaptive perfectionist. Can you can you explain to everyone what they are and um, yeah how they help and how they don't? Yes, well, I loved learning about this concept through the research in this book. I'll tell you a story. When I was experiencing one of my burnouts, I went to go for you know like a run around the block. They say exercise is good for you. Top up the tank, and I went to walk go for a walk around the block, and I couldn't make it around the corner. Um, and of course, the perfectionist to me kind of bit my mentally bit myself up about that. Like, what are you doing? Can't even run around the block. You're burnt out. You're just coming out your back house. from a burnout at this stage, though, weren't you, right? Oh, exactly. For context, that's good yeah. context. Yes, exactly. Pardon me. And, and then I, I love said, what your dad said about this. This is a beautiful. I'm butting in a little bit, but I loved what your dad said. It was just beautiful. 
heart melting moment. My dad, who in his early career was a salesperson, so you know, I probably absorbed a lot of these growth mindset moments from him. He said, Oh, how was your day, Rach? And I said, Terrible, couldn't even go for a run, only went to the driveway. And he said, The driveway. Mm. Now that is an accomplishment. You know what? The driveway is better than nothing, better than the couch, isn't it? Well done, Rach. Pat me on the back. And I've never forgotten it. (laughs) That's really nice, though, isn't it? I I read that in the book and just went, oh, I heard that's so sweet. (laughs) I would have told my daughter. It's a wimp and go for a run. (laughs) Your, Your dad's way more intuitive than I am, I think. I'm very, very fortunate. And since then, I've learned about the concept of two types of perfectionism, adaptive perfectionism and maladaptive perfectionism. And what both types uh, love and have is a pursuit of excellence. We both love excellence. When we fall in the maladaptive mindset, we can beat ourselves up for things not being perfect. We can avoid taking action because it's based around a fear of failure. Now, when we shift from maladaptive to adaptive, and it takes work, like that reframing example my dad shared with me, Mm -hmm. we can pursue excellence, but we can move to what we can take action by A, showing our work, asking questions early, giving ourselves compassion and telling ourselves something is better than nothing. And so in the example of this book, um, you tell a perfectionist to write a book, She's she, he, they is going to want to know how long should it be? What's the ultimate structure? How many words? What should the cover look like? I'm going to not want to know all of that, but instead I challenge my inner perfectionist to say something's better than nothing. Get all of this out on a page, send mm-hmm. it to someone, get some feedback. What would I need to make this a well-structured book that is helpful to others? Okay, yeah. I've got some feedback there. What would this book need to be of utility? Oh, it needs some worksheets. Great. What would these worksheets need to get out of the world? You need a publisher. Great. Great. Google that. What's a publisher? And all these moments give me confidence that it doesn't need to be perfect, Rach, but my commitment to myself is that it needs to exist. Am I willing to let go of what that format could look like? Well, absolutely, yes. And it turns out I can do an audio book too. So who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? <laughs> mm, right. And what happens when it's – so that's the adaptive one, that you actually adapt to your situation. And when it's maladaptive, do you just say, oh, I've got to work out my structure here or, or I can't exactly. do Is that a bit of a paralysis by analysis type thing? Exactly. What a great analogy there. The idea of circular thinking means that we overthinking or we thought stack and we don't take any action. So if you have a perfectionist in your team who's more in the maladaptive mindset, they won't hand in work in time because they fear it won't be good enough. They'll miss deadlines. They'll (laughs) stay up all late night doing it. Um, And it's actually really challenging because they'll need that high sense of validation. It's actually a lot of hard work. Mm. So to support people out of that, it's about giving them easy ways to fail safely. So we always talk about um, fail forward and fail openly, and that's a great concept. The reality from what I hear from thousands of people in the workplace is we don't yet have a psychologically safe environment to fail. So that's not a perceived option. So what leaders or managers or peers or coaches can do is to say, hey, um, here's the big project of work. Can you give me, show me your early thinking in the first week and I can give you feedback? Or if you're moving in a perfectionist mode, you could say, here's what I'm thinking. Can I get some feedback? I'm on the right track. Or here's my initial thinking. Is this what you asked for just before I scurry away and do the rest? Yeah, uh, so right. it's quite an interesting. We're moving from circular thinking into, you know, the word motivation is from the Latin word movere, M-O-V-E-R-E, which mm-hmm. is to move. So how do we help people move as coaches, as support, as peers, as friends, as mates, as leaders? 
we create small ways to fail early and that gives them the validation and bada bing, we're feeling better about ourselves already. And you end up Yeah, that's really because because one of those fears of failures and, and stuff, one of the quotes that you put in this, and I really loved it, Rachel, it was beautiful, is that is if something's, ha- I call it an old brain shitstorm when you get to that point where everything's kind of, you know, up too in the air. Hard, too terrible, hard, <laughs> Right? Your your quote, and I, I highlighted this down and I wrote it on my whiteboard and stuff, was is this a stop sign or is it a footnote? And I really love that, that let, let's, let's get our brains connected and let's think about this. Is this a stop sign or is it a, a footnote? And I think that's a beautiful way to look at it, isn't it, to, to sort of put some, put some failure in perspective, I guess. <laughs> I love, um, it brings back a memory from years ago is that a, you know, family and friends get together and somebody, uh, um, somebody was complaining about something not going well and the parental figure said, oh, yeah, put it in your book. And I thought to myself, you've done that. I never forgot that moment. And it wasn't until I wrote this book that I thought, oh, my pursuit of excellence had me thinking that if something didn't work out, I needed to start again. If I burnt myself out, I needed to start a new business. And what self awareness slowly and self discipline has helped me realize that these things make me who I am. Uh, And, you know, if I'm interested in excellence, wouldn't I put that on as kind of. of experiences in my toolkit or my kite, you know, just as Beyonce or any entertainer does, they put all their inspiration and life experiences in their albums. Why couldn't I take inspiration from that and put this in a book and put these experiences in a book? And then ultimately, as a speaker, you've got more content to talk about, to yeah, be quite yeah. frank, because you got that real experience. Um, and it is it is one of those <laughs> books, so you can actually feel all of that coming through when you're reading it. And as I said to you before, I, I looked at my notes after it, because I, I read on a Kindle, and it was it was something like five thousand words worth of notes. It took me <laughs> it took me an hour to go through my notes before I came on the podcast. So. And it's like that. There was just gold coming at you all, all, all the time. Um, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm having a little issue with some of the authors I'm interviewing on this. All right. Can you bear with me as a, as a, as a middle-aged privileged white bloke? Is that <laughs> we seem to be aiming these books very much towards women. Like your book is a beautiful cover with pink and stuff, and I don't know too many dudes <laughs> that would pick that up without sounding misogynistic or sexist who would pick that up. But we really should because. They're great books. Exactly, Annie McGovern, one of the other people we wrote. Why, why, why smart men make, make bad decisions? And that was one of the best books I'd read in ages. And yours, yours is the same. That we, is it that I don't know women will take advice a bit better than the dudes. Will? <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, you know, there are some sobering statistics in Australia. It's more likely that men over a certain age, I believe it's 50-something plus, are more likely to have su- suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we the, the black and white of these mental health challenges is that in some communities, some groups of people, uh, however we identify or assign our identities to, it's more normalised to discuss intimate thoughts, intimate feelings, and in some groups – um, it's less common to do that. So in marginalised communities, it might be more common to talk about a shared adversity, shared enemy, shared experience, right? Mm. And in, in 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 more public persona, if there are communities where it's not normalised to talk about your feelings, well, of course you won't pick up any kind of book that says self-help. So, for example, I went down the road and I have my pink copy with me. It's going to proofread. Bumped into my next-door neighbour. 
And they go, oh, what's that's my book. And they go, oh, my gosh. He goes, oh, I'm not into self-help at all, but all right, I might give this a go. <laughs> I think that's probably more a credit to you. Right? I think they, they probably know you and realise it would be a great yeah. book, which it certainly is. But I think, you know, it's no secret that in many of our happiness concierge events, people who identify as female or woman would make up 80% of the audience. It's no secret about that. You know, what I'm inviting people is to have a, a conversation with themselves. You can download it yourself. You could do the exercise with yourself or with others. And, you know, um, think, I did think about that. I did think about the gender stereotypes that come with that. And I thought, well, stuff it. I'm the person with the pink suit from a branding perspective. It works really well for me. And I actually did consider doing like, um, what do they have good to great and having like, um, what does Robert Iger have from Disney, have a blue and white. I did yeah. consider that. But I thought, I'll save that for my corporate book about how I built my multi-billion dollar business just got to figure out how to do that first well the world certainly <laughs> needs more happiness concierges and if, if your book's any indication reading it will actually certainly get you a long way away a long way towards the road of of getting that big business and um it's a fantastic book and we're, we're running out of time a little bit but i've got our fast five i want to run by you rach all right okay, you ready for this all right so our fast five don't think about it too much but what are you reading now um, I'm reading Traction by Gino. I'm looking at my bookshelf how Gino Wickman on how to create an operating model for your six, seven, eight figure business. I'm reading Me and White Supremacy by Layla F. Sad about identifying my own privilege and how to create an inclusive company. And of course, Colorful by Winitha Bonnie on how women of color can become powerful leaders in this world. I know Winitha, she's lovely. Yeah, exactly, right? Winitha so when is we've worked with her. Gorgeous. And when I heard she wrote a book, I put that on the shopping list and then it arrived the next day. Whoops. Nice. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, what was your most memorable book as a kid? Oh, well, I think it's no secret. I didn't read much at all as a kid. I was completely in my own world, music videos, you know, creating dances, no interest in books whatsoever. Couldn't, I didn't no. have the attention span or the discipline. wasn't your thing. What no, book should, every, other than this one, what book should everyone read? <laughs> Well, if you're an entrepreneur, Profit First by Mike Mihalowitz is great for understanding how to turn a hobby into a profitable business. Right. The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz is a great read for entrepreneurs. Uh, We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers, A Guide to Economic Power for Marginalized Folks and The Way We're Working Isn't Working by Tony Schwartz for anyone in a leadership position. That'll really right. work you out with research. Boom, look at you stories. go. Um, <laughs> is there a particular book that you've had that's had the most influence on you? Uh, uh, a few. Uh, the power no, you're not allowed to have a few. <laughs> the the perfectionist in you is, is throwing a bit each way here, Rachel. And this always happens. Okay, okay. The body, the body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk. How uh, trauma informs how our body responses and uh, physiology meets psychology and how that intertwines and how that influences life and therefore work. Nice. Okay. And in a few years' time and a few (laughs) massive corporate businesses and a few mountains have climbed, what's your autobiography going to be called? (laughs) Hmm, Rayonce fears. <laughs> Rayonce, uh, did you just? You know, pushing out a few more trademarks. Uh, I don't know. I suppose something along the lines of 
um, show people what you can do. Often I hear from people who are in a bit of a stuck, there has to be more moment. It's about waiting for life to come to you. And I think it's about show yourself, yes, what you're capable of, but no one was sitting around Googling, when will Rachel Service create happiness concierge based on a Beyonce moment? <laughs> you know, I had to show people what I could do. I had to go out and get it. So maybe go out and get it. Nice. Um, life is yours, something like that. Yeah. I love it. And if you do want to go out and get it, then reading There Has to Be More by <laughs> Rachel Service is going to be a pretty good place to start. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the Your Next Read podcast. Oh, and, um, fun. Thank the you. The book comes out pretty pretty. It's just, just come out now so everyone can get it from, from majorstreet.com.au. <laughs> so thanks for coming and talking to us today. Great chat. Thank you, Luke. Cheers. Hey, there Has to Be More by Rachel Service, your next read, go to majorstreet.com.au and use the code YNR to get your discount. I'm Luke Mathers and thank you for listening to your next read.